hosted by Mike the Big Cheese. Welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. Another Sunday down. I can't believe already halfway through December. The holidays will be here in a couple of weeks. This year just went by so fast. I think as we get older, every year seems to go by faster and faster. Hey, you know what? It's all about the metal tonight, like always. And we got a great show for everybody. Mike Yusufa from Prime Evil. He's coming back on the show. It's been a while since we've spoken to Mike and they have a brand new record coming out. Mike will be on in about an hour or so, about 7.15. And in about 10 minutes, Neil Turbin will be calling in. Neil's an old friend of the show. We haven't spoken to Neil in a while also. And there's been a lot going on lately, and we'll get to all of that. Uh, we're waiting for Tommy to call in. He's probably – I don't know if the Giants won or lost today, but if they lost, he's probably mourning another loss by his favorite football team. Uh, right there, we started out today's show with H-Bomb and the song H-Bomb from the Coupe de Metal record back in 1983. Uh, I should say an EP. 
Uh, really good French band. They had one record out after that. And I think it was a different singer on that one. But both of the albums were sung in French. And let's face it, if it wasn't for us saving them in World War II, those records might have been sung in German today. So who the hell knows? All right. Well, let's get on another tune while we wait for Tommy to call in. Neil should be calling in right after that. Let's do some Persian Risk. Uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to have Call Sentence on in uh, January, maybe February. Uh, we've been trying to set up an interview with him for a while. And he's just waiting for the new record to come out so he can kind of do the promotion for it all at the same time. And uh, I think it should be out in 2015. But here's Brave New World.
Oh, man. Neil Tarbin off the Threatcon Delta record. Keep the fire. Neil should be calling in a few minutes, but right now, the man who won a bet in 1939 in some bar in Germany told Adolf Hitler, I dare you, the big T. What's going on there, Tommy? <laughs> I bet I'm a black man from America to beat anybody <laughs> in the fucking world. Oh, that's God, when, I tell that's, you. That's when we all were one. That's a God's honest truth. Well, if you've been in the city lately, we're all kind of one again <laughs> if you're one of the protesters because these son of a bitches have been clogging up the streets for three weeks now, and I'm getting sick and tired of it. I'm telling you, man. You got to work through it. And then it oh, man. I, I'm, thank God I'm on vacation in two more days to get out of here because you can't travel around. I mean, I was up in Harlem last week for our, for our company Christmas party, and they're protesting up there, but it's so much better because they're just walking around the streets saying no chicken, no wings. It's a lot better than the ones going on downtown. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, it's true. You know, there's there's no chicken, there's no wings. You know, that's right. But I heard Buffalo so. has Buffaloes have wings. I don't know. I, used to, yeah, I don't know how that works. <laughs> have to find out about that. <laughs> All right. Well, we got a busy show tonight. Neil Turbin will be calling well, in a few minutes. We're yeah. gonna talk to Neil about the the Scott Ian book. We'll talk to him about Onslaught, about the new record, about Bleed the Hunger. And there's a tour coming up, which we'll let Neil talk about. I believe the promoter of that tour is going to be joining him. And I will talk about that show and what's happening with that. And then Mike Yusufa from Primeval, a great New York band from back in the day, who's been back together for a few a few years now. We'll get Mike on here. Uh, I don't know if you saw the other day uh, in, uh, in the news feeds, uh, Jakey Lee was bitching about how uh, Sharon Osma kind of told him, you know, we're taking your songs <laughs> and getting and the credit for it or you're out of the band. Yeah. I mean, not that anybody didn't already know that about her. I mean, yeah. people have been hearing Bob Daisley go on and on about that. Lee Kerslake, I mean, for like the last 20-something years. I yeah, mean, it's exactly. been common knowledge. And now they hear from Jakey Lee. So now all of a sudden, people are like up in arms. But really, hasn't Bob Daisley been bitching about that? They even took his and Lee's yeah, right. tracks off the first two records? Yeah, exactly. And then I mean, I'll come on. Back and says, I didn't know about it. Yeah, he didn't know about yeah. it. Where I tell you, I mean, everybody knows some... The beginning of Black Sabbath that Ozzy is just not a musically talented person as far as writing songs goes. You know what I mean? It was always done by somebody else, and it continued with his solo band. So, I mean, you know, especially in the 80s, there was so much money to be made with albums back then and touring and merchandise. What did you? What's the point of doing that? You know what I mean? It makes it such a low-life thing to do. To another, especially to a young kid that you're taking advantage of. And not even a young kid, but they did it to Bob Daisley also, Lee Kersaker, who was seasoned musicians back then. Sure, they were from uh, Uriah Heap. Yeah, unbelievable. Well, we'll take your songs and use it anyway, and you're out the door, so what are you going to do? And what's yeah. like a 20-something-year-old kid going to do? He's got the gig of a lifetime thinking that right. this is it. You know, I'm the guitar playing Ozzy's band, you know. Exactly. He's uh, a legend right here. Yeah. You know? hey, Jakey Lee always got a bum rap from the day one, I guess because, you know, he was one that followed up Randy Rhodes on record, even though there, even though there was Bernie Tomé, Brad Gillis, you know, and other people in between there. He was the first official guitar player, like, you know, the Minaj's band, and he never got yeah. the credit he deserves. Those two records are good, just like the first two were. I mean, I mean, nothing compared to those first two, but, no, I mean, you know, all. Bob Daisley was the main guy behind them, and he worked with Randy, and he worked with Lee, and he brought out, you know, that great songwriting of both of those guitar players. Definitely, definitely. Crazy. You all right? <clears throat> just swallow it. Oh, I had I think so. I didn't want to do it on air. I tried to mute it. Yeah, yeah, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere down the wrong windpipe over here. Yeah. You can't eat a cannoli and talk at the same time. <laughs> I'm 
sorry. Yeah, that's that's kind of hard to do. You're right about that. Please, please don't. don't that's one of the few me. things I'm not eating these uh, days is cannolis. Uh, uh, I know. I was going to play another song, but I figured, why bother? Neil's supposed to be calling in any minute. We'll bullshit a little bit. Kill some time until he does. Because it seems like every time I click the play button, somebody calls in. I got to stop the song. Okay. So we'll just keep yapping away till he does. And, uh, and we'll do that. But yeah, we're talking about Jake Lee and Nigel Glockner from Saxon. He had a brain aneurysm uh, pretty bad. Wow. Uh, he's in the yeah. hospital. They had to cancel the remaining dates of the UK tour. And I know they were supposed to be here in May. But uh, based on what he has, I don't see that happening. Unless they yeah. get a get a drummer to fill in or they yeah, reschedule they, those dates. They probably will get somebody. I, I'm not saying that I didn't read it, but I'm guessing that they probably have too many commitments to, you know. I mean, they can forego some, but, uh, you know, they, they'll, they'll find a repla replacement for now, you know. Oh, yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, they're they're going to have to. I hate to say it, but it, that's pretty serious shit, you know. A friend yeah. of mine, his wife just passed from that, you know, and it yep. happened. Uh, within hours, she was gone. Yeah. I mean, well, gone. the good news is, sorry, but the good news is they did catch it early and they took care yeah, of it. But yeah, it's yeah. a long recovery, and they still have and to find out where funny, it's coming like from. The week before, he was on all these, uh, you know, our rock, uh, you know, I call them the rock TMZ, the metal TMZs, uh, where you know he's out partying with this guys and that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. out with a bunch of people, so I don't, I'm not saying it had something to do with it, but it's just a shame that here's somebody, you know, so full of life, and and really a, a great musician, and he's been doing them a long time, you know? Since 81, the Power and the Glory record. I mean, he was with them a little yeah. before that album, but he was there from that album on. Yeah, yeah. It's a long time, but you know, that can happen to anybody, but... It is a long recovery, and they still have to figure out what caused it and take care of that. So, and like it says, these tours are—they cost a lot of money. They're not that easy to string together, especially when bands are coming over from overseas to here. There's a lot involved with the work visas and everything right. else, and it doesn't make sense to cancel it. You know, uh, maybe you know he'll recuperate quick enough to get on tour, but you know, is that a chance you want to take with that being in another country for a long period of time, also away from your own doctor and hospital? But yeah, they'll probably get a replacement. And continue on. And, you know, Saxon always put on a great show. We've seen them the last couple of times they've come through town. And, you know, I'm tired just watching them up, up there for two hours playing. They, they just, yeah. they just bombard you with classic after classic. And they got like, you know, six to eight years on us, you know. Uh, well, maybe you. They got a little bit more than that on me. Yeah, well, I'm saying you know, maybe 10 <laughs> for you, 10 to 12. You're not that far yeah. back. <laughs> no, nah, I'm getting there. From I'm Miami. creeping up there. I'm creeping up there. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's the same amount of years, but it just seems like you're getting closer. Maybe because that's I'm what looking it is. younger. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I'm you're not growing more handsome. Younger. I might be looking younger, but I ain't feeling any younger. Yeah, those things happen. Uh, and what else was going on? Uh, Jack Panzer are going to announce the new singer pretty soon. They've got it now down to two guys. And uh, uh, they just committed to the Bang Your Head Festival uh, next year in Germany. So we're going to be getting that announcement pretty soon. Uh, I know a couple of the candidates, so we'll see which one. You know, they go with, and that's be pretty interesting because the tyrant is going to be a hard act to follow up as a singer. His voice is so distinctive to the sound of Jack Pan's. I mean, they replaced him before with other singers, and they were good records. But I think people have just gotten used to it right now. But like we had Mark on the show, and he says he just doesn't want to do it anymore. He's tired. He's had it. He's had enough of the music business. And I guess after thirty something years, I could kind of get that. So we'll see who they come up with. That should be pretty interesting. But uh, hey, I think we had Neil on the line. Let's. Uh, Connect him to find out. Neil. Okay. Neil. Hello. 
How are you? How you doing there? Is this Mike? Yep. Awesome. How you doing, Mike? Happy Sunday. I'm doing great. How are you? Great. Just uh, rocking and rolling. All right. I didn't catch your name. This is Neil Turbin. I know it's Neil Turbin. <laughs> okay. So I didn't catch your name. <laughs> Who are you? Mike. He's talking to you, Mike. I know. He went dead. Oh, just went dead? Hang on a second. Let me get a song on, and let me see if I can connect him again. I don't know what happened there. What did you say? Hang on one second.
All right, that's tension, mental paranoia. I got Neil back in the line. No, it is Tommy. There are so many damn buttons on here now on these phone things. I hit right. one and I goes into another direction and I can't figure out who okay. the hell's going on and what's happening. Not a problem. Just good you got it straightened out. That's all right. Well, everybody, Mr. Neil Turbin from Death Riders. Neil, you're on with me and the co-host Tommy. What's going on? Hey, what's happening, Mike and Tommy? It's great to be here. And we also have Dean Sweat from Paramore Group on the line, who's uh, you know, great guy. He's uh, booking the the Uli John Roth tour and Black Knights Rising and um, also worked on a number of other tours, right? Dean? Dean, how oh, are just you? Just a few over the years. Very good. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Good to- nice to meet you guys. Hey, hey it's good to have you on here. Yeah. So- well, thank you very much. Good to be well- here. Well, listen, Dean, you and Neil have got something cooking right now, I guess, uh, this uh, Thresh Invasion toy. You want to tell everybody about it? Well, actually, I'd rather talk about something relevant, and that would be uh, what we're doing, recording a couple of albums and, uh, you know, working on Bleed the Hunger and Death Riders and also uh, Nam Metal Jam, if that'd be all right with you. Hey, Neil, you can talk about anything you want to talk about. I'm here for you. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, there's things that, that matter, and then there's things that don't really matter. So um, at least, you know, not really relevant. But uh, what is relevant is, you know, we're working on um, recording with, uh, you know, some amazing people and working on some great material, sounding awesome. And uh, just got through, you know, recently listening to the tracks that uh, Matt Thompson from King Diamond's laying down on uh, Death Rider CD, The Metal Beast. So uh, we're working on the vocals and the guitar. Jonas Hornquist and Howie Simon are recording guitars on the album. And... You know, we've been uh, working on that, and that's basically what I was doing before I was interrupted by a tour that I had to do, uh, that I took on to try to help the situation out. And um, but we're back, you know, focused on that, and also, um, you know, we're playing Nam Metal Jam, which is a show that I'm putting on in January, and that's going to feature uh, some amazing talent, some amazing bands as well, uh, which I like to talk about, and that could be found at NamMetalJam.com and also DeathRiders.com. And, of course, you know, Facebook pages uh, of a similar name. But just wanted to uh, let you know also about Bleed the Hunger, which is a band that's um, been going this year with uh, Jonas Hornquist, who, along with myself, you know, we were working on songs that um, kind of didn't fit in the realm of what Death Riders was doing. And Jonas has a band that he's had for a long-standing, uh, long-running time that's um, called treasure land you know they're a very yeah. progressive and neoclassical band fabulous band which had the singer from the poodles and a number of other really notable musicians that played with him and um you know including jonas's brother uh, magnus who's an amazing drummer just phenomenal but so so basically these songs jonas had and last year around this time or actually earlier we were talking about them, and, and he said, yeah, you know, I'm working on these songs. So I come up with a couple of ideas, and I thought you might like to check them out. And I'm like, uh, yeah, that would be great. Thanks, Jonas. Send them over. So he, he sent me some some ideas, and, you know, they were really not in the realm of Death Riders, and they were also not really in the realm of Treasureland because, you know, obviously progressive and, you know, kind of thrash meets uh, power metal really is Death Riders, you know, fast and heavy. So... These songs were really melodic, and they had keyboards, and they were, um, you know, just more hard rock or classic rock, you know. So really classic hard rock material. And 
so I got to listening to these songs and, you know, worked on the melodies for them and the lyrics. And, you know, we came together and, you know, then restructured some of the songs and, you know, arranged them. And before we knew it, we had some pretty cool sounding material. It's actually up there on SoundCloud right now, uh, Bleed the Hunger on SoundCloud.com and and also Reverb Nation. So what's what's really interesting is that these songs, um, you know, we weren't really trying to start another band. We weren't really trying to, you know, work on that. But what happened is these songs were just so cool. And, you know, we were getting great feedback from people. And it's just like, you know, why are you guys not out there playing shows sure. supporting this material? So, um, so we have a, a classic hard rock band called Bleed the Hunger. And, um, you know, we're... You know, we're working on that album as well. So we actually have Death Riders because Jonas has, you know, been collaborating with me for ten years now. Oh but, wow! Didn't know that. Yeah. So, um, you know, so the material is, is strong, and you know, we feel confident about it. I mean, we've gotten really good responses to Death Riders material, and now Bleed the Hunger. So, what's really cool is that we're able to, you know, use our our songwriting chemistry and also really you know kind of uh, achieve a finite point of of just taking it to the next level and i think that um you know the responses have been pretty cool and um you know you can check it out for yourself and see what you think because you know i'm not one to tell people what they think yeah i've heard it i like it definitely not known definitely not what you're known for but is it important like to to try different styles and different type of music to keep yourself, you know, not from getting stale or maybe falling into a trap of doing the same stuff over and over again? Or do you just kind of like, you know, doing what you do as a singer? Well, I think, I think people are musical that are in music if they are. And some people are in it for other reasons, you know. Um, some people, what they do is they have an, have a, have a, an objective where they have, um, you know, kind of a, an agenda. Uh, in my case, I don't have an agenda. I just... I want to write. I want to write the best music. I want to perform the best music and perform it, you know, with the, the best that I can. I mean, I want to give it a thousand percent every time, and whether it's in the studio or on stage or you know in the songwriting. And of course, songwriting is a whole challenge within itself because it's almost like trying to work with puzzle pieces sometimes. And also, it can be other game shows. <laughs> so it's um, you know trivia. I mean, there's just all kinds of you know, brain process when it comes to songwriting and getting it to the place where you want to get it to. And sometimes, you know, that doesn't happen in one writing session. It might happen eventually. So some songs kind of evolve differently than others. But I find that, you know, in the writing process for Bleed the Hunger, it's been very smooth. I mean, we've worked through it. And, then, you know, there's been some songs where, you know, we just kind of hit it right on the first take kind of thing where, you know, we're working on this and we just have, like, just an amazing end result uh, i think that's how we wrote a song called long way down and then on other songs you know i thought jonas was going to love it and it turned out that yeah we're going to change the chorus four times and it's not going to be you know as easy as as long way down where you know it's like we had this one idea now we're at this other idea different melody and you know so it, it's actually really great because it's a challenging process where we challenge each other's you know, ability, creativity, um, you know, brain power and sanity at times because, you know, it can it can be really heartbreaking when you have, you know, something that you really think is great and it's not so great in the other person's opinion. And, you know, what it does is it makes you look at it and say, well, you know, is that really 
the best it can be or you know let me try this other idea that he has and see how that might you know affect the song and you know i think part of it is being open-minded and not attaching yourself to any one thing so i think it, it just makes us better as songwriters and as people you know to to be open-minded because you know some folks have great ideas and you never know where that idea might come from it might come from you know yourself it might it's like if you're a company it might come from the president of the company it might come from the the board of directors it might come, it might come from, from the mailroom. It, it might come from this receptionist, and it might <laughs> come from f- from the mailroom, like you said, or or the the people that are on the front end. So, you know, if you have an open mind and you can, you know, give those folks a chance, you know, you never know when you're going to find out uh, something brilliant. And yeah. you know, not always, but at least having that vision and the ability to to be a, a perceptive to that, I think. And you know, at, at the level that we're writing, of course, it's not all these different folks involved it's you know a tighter group but i think you know just having that perception i think is important to really embrace people's ideas and you know exercise that idea before you dismiss it you know it's it's kind of like the media a lot of people they just go off the headlines they read something and they 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 assume that that's what it is but they don't look underneath they don't they don't read the the message carefully they don't listen to the song they just read things on the surface and don't you know kind of go underneath the surface to really understand. Well, you know, we're like an instant society right now. So like the first thing that people see is all they know. And like it says, they don't dig deeper. They don't read the whole article. It's just the title of the book to them. And they base everything on that and nothing else. That's just, you know, the world we kind of live in today. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a sad story on that one. And, you know, it's kind of ironic or a dichotomy of sorts when you think of, you know, a really good example, I think, is, is is almost like if you have a friend that you've been friends with, but let's say you have this other friend that's also a good friend of yours, and, well, they don't like this other person, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then they expect <laughs> you not to like this person, and, you know, right. there's some people exactly. that will just... There's some people that will just defriend that person just because. Well, that's it. You, you you defriend that person, or you're no longer friends with me. There you go. Well, that's one side. That's one side yeah. of it. But the other side, the other side of it is well, you know, a good example is well, people say things about artists and and celebrities and so forth, and they have a fixed opinion about some, you know, some artist that oh, this person has a big ego, or this person's not nice, or this person's not friendly, and then you know, automatically some folks will have that opinion. Other folks, they'll go and meet that person and have a good experience or a bad experience or maybe a non-experience and decide for themselves. I'm, I've always been one to decide for myself because I've been told about certain people and people have an opinion. Of course, lots of people have lots of opinions these days, but I think it's it's always cool to give a person, you know, the opportunity to to at least meet them and, you know, and or at least, you know, try to understand and um, I think that's the way our society is. I mean, it's it's a judge first, you know, a very judgmental society. It's a you know judge, jury, and executioner, all in one type of uh, scenario these days, to some extent. And you know, a good example of that, I think, unfortunately for everyone on this call and everyone in the music business, would be Phil Rudd. You know, I think it's, yeah. it's just a, a tragic situation that the media has already you know put it out there. I'm sure that you know. The fans have certain opinions, and I mean, but this is something that hasn't even, you know, it, it's gone to court to a certain extent. But I think, you know, here's a great band, or you know, a legendary, awesome band that you know I'm a big fan of, ACDC. I mean, lifelong fan. Iconic. And, iconic. You know, yeah, iconic is truly the word. And 
you know, how people can even put, you know, they want to pass judgment just like snap your fingers, but how, you know, it's just such a, a sad thing. And whether or not or what happened and what didn't happen, you know, to, to Phil Rudd and, you know, everyone's got an opinion. I mean, it's like they're quick to, to, to point a finger and, you know, I mean, does, does anybody really know what happened other than Phil Rudd and, and other people that might be in that loop? I mean, I don't even, I don't even feel comfortable talking about it, but I, all I know is I love ACDC. I support the band all the way. And we and hope everything works out for the best. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And, and I'm just saying that that's, you know, what an example. I mean, you know, that's, that's truly something that, that's unfortunate and, and what a great band. And it's, you know, unfortunate when, when bands, you know, have, have issues, but you know, it's part of the business, I guess. And, and I, you and know, I, excuse me a second. Like I said to Mike before, we have like, uh, metal TMZs now, you know, and that's what everybody reads and everybody listens to instead of, you know, well, everybody loves drama. Everybody yeah. loves yeah. controversy. Yeah. So, and every, it's all about the haters instead of about anything positive because it doesn't it's not like years the ago drama. When we were coming up in the rock, uh, the underground scene, and we had, you know, uh, sounds and and NME and, you know, you know, publications like that. Now it's so much, anybody in their grandmother could have a, can have a blog, and, uh, it's uh it's just too much in a way it's too much and it's it's up to you as an informed reader uh to make your decisions that way thanks for that opinion it was the only uh, point they had let's get back, let's get back to neil now Neil, but you've been dealing with this shit your whole career i mean you've been dealing for the nonsense scott talks and the stuff that's going on also thanks. now you've dealt with this and you've been on my show so many times and you know what you've always been a cool and understanding guy with me and you know like i said if people listen to other people you're never going to know until you talk to that person themselves and you know i, I don't know what else you could say about that well yeah you know there's people out there that you know people have preconceived um ideas about and you know it's it's really you know an interesting world that we have how it's changed from you know days of past where people might have been given a benefit of a doubt or an opportunity to to be heard or to speak for themselves but you know what happens is you have like you said the metal tmz type um entities that you know run headlines and they are basically providing misinformation you know misperceptions um a misrepresentation misrepresentation of the truth, distorted information that's not the truth. And, um, you know, we could talk about that some more and a little further in, but, uh, you know, back to the, the thing. Well, before you get too far down the road, I had a comment and a couple quick questions. Uh, sure. One, God didn't realize Howie Simon was on the Death Riders record. Yeah, I Howie. had the pleasure of working with Howie in Alcatraz with Graham Bonnet and these great guitar players, so I'll be anxious yeah. to hear that. Uh, two, um, as everybody here has said, I was uh, a little shocked as my prior experience to you as a vocalist has been uh, Anthrax or Death Riders, and Bleed the Hunger is such a drastic transition from that. Uh, the most commercial thing I've ever seen you do has been a uh, 
YouTube video uh, I saw of you playing at a Randy Rhodes uh, tribute doing Crazy Train. And as I said, when I heard this record, it uh, made me think of Frontier Records. Uh, it's, it's definitely a melodic rock or melodic hard rock. So the question mm-hmm. is, have you ever sung melodic rock or hard rock prior to this and and who wrote the melodies who wrote the melodies and who wrote wrote the hooks the uh did he come to you with a idea or is the vocal line and the hook all you well i appreciate the the you know really on you know on point questions dean and uh one thing I wanted to just start off by saying, Howie Simon, you'd mentioned, uh, Howie is just, you know, a phenomenal and very underrated guitar player. You know, I thought Howie would have been the perfect guy for Whitesnake, to be quite honest. And I thought Howie, um, you know, is just, he's a wicked guitar player. I mean, oh yeah. you know, I'm working with Jonas Hornquist for a long time. He's, you know, such an amazing writer and and player and master teacher. I mean, he's just, you know, he's got... DVDs and instructional books out and in Swedish and in English. Uh, you know, he's got stuff out on Mel Bay product out there and, you know, some of the big publishers for, for music books. And I mean, just a phenomenal player. I mean, this is not just for, for heavy metal, but it's, you know, uh, blues guitar and metal guitar and progressive. And he's just, you know, phenomenal. And Howie is a phenomenal person. I mean, just an amazing player. And, Really love his style of playing. I mean, he's, um, you know, I would say how he's able to play all of those progressive type of, uh, you know, intervals and, and you know, just guitar structure and, and speed and notes and dynamics. But also he's, you know, he brings another another aspect as well. He's, you know, he's got the whole ACDC, you know, feel and vibe down. He's got the John Sykes, that, you know, vibe down. He's got the rainbow, you know, obviously playing with Jolyn Turner and playing with, you know, Graham Bonnet and, you know, other amazing musicians. I mean, he's got a long list of people that he's he's worked with, but, you know, it's just a pleasure to work with true professionals and people that are just, you know, they inspire you every time that, you know, you hear the music. It just makes you want to strive to be better and better. And, you know, both Jonas and Howie, just they, they drive me and inspire me to that next place. And as well as Matt Thompson, I mean, uh, I don't know of many drummers that are as phenomenal as Matt Thompson. I mean, what a, a incredible person and a, a super amazing drummer. I mean, the, the, the drums that he did on the King Diamond tour, I'm just really wish I would have got to see him on this tour, but I was on a tour of my own. But, um, yeah, excited to have him on Death Rider's CD, The Metal Beast, and he's, his playing is just, you know, out of this world and and. To answer your question, I know I took it off the train tracks there for a second, <laughs> off the rails of the crazy That's train. crazy train, you're just driving down the road there. Yeah, so back on the tracks here. So uh, to answer your question about the writing and the melodies, uh, yes, Jonas, he's uh, an amazing writer, and you know his melodies and the music and the guitar playing, they kind of they sing for themselves, and they inspire me to you know create a complimentary melody and and lyrics. So yes, I wrote lyrics and mel- you know, vocal melodies to complement that. I've also written, you know, the vocal harmonies and so forth. But, you know, there are certain songs where we <laughs> as I said, we have kind of a you know, it's almost like a, a song wrestling match. It's like we, we go in one direction and then I thought that this one would be 
I thought it was pretty good, and it's like, well, it was pretty good, but it wasn't the right direction. So we we've gone back and forth on a few of them. So it's it's cool, you know, because that's the kind of relationship that that takes you to a better place. I mean, if everything was just first take, yeah, everything's perfect on the first take. Well, you you got to be able to disagree, and and sometimes they're going to go really obviously you didn't get the message. <laughs> yeah, it's just well, Neil, let's get back a... to Death Riders. Sure. You brushed over a whole bunch of good things happening right now. When we did Bleed the Hunger, the Nam Jam, Death Riders, Metal Beast. It's been a long time since ThreatCon Delta came out. And I read somewhere a while ago where you were saying you really weren't in any rush to get anything out right away. You wanted to make sure it was, you know, the right stuff at the right time. But I've been following your posts. I know you've been recording guitar tracks and you're going in for vocals. I, I guess we're getting closer to having this album finally coming out. Well, we've got work to do, so there's still yet work to do. We are working on it, and, um, you know, the music business has changed all around us. I mean, yeah. gone are the days where, where labels, you know, are, are throwing money at people, and, you know, gone are the days where big-name artists are getting much money. So, I mean, the, the record deals that were happening for, you know, big, <laughs> big names, you know, whether it be five years ago where they were they were locking down deals for – you know, I, I don't want to say what I know, but I know of one band that had an $80,000 deal and another artist that had an $80,000 deal. And, you know, those same kind of advanced deals for those big-name artists that are big names on festivals and big-name headliners, well, you know, that $80,000 a long time ago was, you know, quarter of a million or, or more and multi-album contracts. So these, these deals are less and less, and the advance money is less and less. And mostly, you know, there's you know very little or no advance money and in some cases you know it's it's like sign away your rights so when you hear bands talking in interviews about well they didn't really make a lot of money on the album or they made no money from their albums and these are big bands saying that it's an interesting interview to listen to because i i try to listen to those interviews carefully and understand well okay how can you be in this band that's so big playing headliner the the main headliner in all these festivals and you earn nothing off of your albums, how does that make sense? I mean, yeah, they might have a big production, and sure, if they're like, you know, Santana, and they've got 11 people in the band, well, sure, there's a lot of people to pay, and then road crew, and then production costs, and et cetera, sure. studio costs. But, you know, how do you how do you sell millions, a million albums or more and not make any money? I mean, it doesn't make good sense for the band. Obviously, the contract, you know, what whatever deal that they cut could be, you know... <laughs> That that could be the, maybe where, where the pitfall was, but you know it's just interesting to me. I think today it's all about um, you know certain key things that are important. And I think having having distribution worldwide, having something that's going to you know still be in, in in as many stores as possible. Yes, we are digital, but I think that's you know that's another important thing, obviously, because people are online. Um, but also you know physical presence. It's nice to be able to go into a store or to be able to pick something up, hold it, you know. Sure. Even if CDs are not the latest technology, but I think that that the beauty of that and the mystery of you know picking up a Led Zeppelin album with with uh, you know cool stuff on the cover, opening it up and looking at you know one picture or two pictures of the band, and you know there's some mystery and intrigue involved, and and the beauty of being able to look at the lyrics and you know feel the vinyl or something. I mean that that was a special feeling back when. Glad that the vinyl's back these days, you know. And I I think that you know that's that's part of the beauty of being a fan and loving, you know, 
buying the albums of your favorite bands and and getting you know getting introduced to new bands and getting to check out wow look at this you know look at this album sure. who is this band Iron Maiden what what is what's this guy on the cover holy crap you know it makes you want to yeah. listen to it when you see stuff like that Neil, is there still a, I mean, in the music business today, we all know how it's changed. I mean, everybody's followed it, you know, whether you're on the outside or the inside. I mean, is there an opportunity for bands at every level somewhere along the line to make money? Or is it just a matter of trying to recoup the money you've spent on your own? Or should bands be spending their own money today to try to make something happen? Or should they just keep pushing to get that deal or get the money from the record companies to try to take back what used to be? Uh, those are too many questions with not enough answers to, to deal with. Uh, unfortunately, for for uh, startup bands, let's put it that way, if you're a startup a startup band or a starting musician, not necessarily someone who's not a an experienced artist, someone that can play and can execute. But you know, if you're a startup band, that's that could be experienced guys or guys that are even name guys that are starting a new band or a brand new band of kids. You know, it could be a lot of different represent a lot of different types of artists but you know it's really hard it's you know if your name is already established out there it's a lot you, you have a lot better chance of of getting something versus a brand new band of people that have a new name or you know a young band of people that are starting out i mean to get someone to believe in you is one thing but getting you know getting the notoriety and getting the the push out there you're pretty much looking at social media or these uh you know crowdfunding you know fundraising type um type of, of uh, internet methods out there. I mean, Kickstarter and all that. So, I mean, I haven't done anything like that yet. Um, you know, who knows what the future holds, but I think that, you know, you have to embrace the technologies and the, the methods that are out there. I think it is a great thing once MySpace was around and it was very pro-band oriented and, you know, you could advertise about your band and, you know, 100,000 people could know and you wouldn't be restricted i think nowadays there's you know social media outlets where you know if you have five thousand people you know they put a chokehold on you and you can only reach eight to ten percent of your your yeah your your following and then after that it's like you know they want to charge you for every ten percent or whatever have you and then you know it, it just stinks that that's the kind of um opportunists that are out there in, in the business world just basically milking social media and it's it's also you know, a predatory type thing too. I mean, people are, I mean, there's, there's activities out there, but I think it's a really good thing for people to communicate. So I think still, you know, the messaging part of, of some of the social media is good because it keeps people connected, you know, whereas emails, maybe not, you know, it's a lot more static with email, but I think there's that the best social media is yet to be created or hasn't been accepted on a wider scale yet. And, you know, I think, um, you know, Social media leaves a lot to be desired these days, but I think that it's definitely the tool and methodology for bands to, to get noticed and out there. It's one way. It's not the only way. Certainly playing live, certainly getting out there and, uh, you know, getting on shows, playing live, um, you know, getting video done, trying to record and get their uh, music out that way. Don't want to give you a super long answer, but I guess that's too long. No, but I, I know exactly <laughs> what you're getting at. Well, speaking of shows I, and, and, and may... going out there, Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that's a question that I'm going to have some input on, if I may. Please go ahead. Go right ahead. Uh, well, basically, I've been an agent and a manager in the music industry for 40 years, and I've had the pleasure of representing some 
legendary people over those years in a wide variety of genres of music. Uh, and I've seen the industry change and evolve over the years. And uh, I myself uh, prefer to be an eternal optimist, uh, even though I've... Uh, uh, consider myself the eternal optimist. I've become a jaded realist after 40 years in the industry, and I think the answer is it's kind of a uh, double-edged sword. Uh, everybody thinks that the music industry uh, is going to hell in a handbasket, and, and I personally care to differ on that. Uh, I just... Uh, I. I uh, just had some extensive tests done because for some investment purposes and business plans and stuff, and it involved a lot of market research. And the reality is that the industry is actually booming. Uh, It's just changed. Uh, uh, In my opinion, the, uh, the major labels cut their own throats uh, because uh, and and the people revolted because they got tired of being uh, the uh, the music loan no longer was the driving force and it became uh, we got into this cycle of fad creation and following the trend of the day. Uh, when I grew up, you had Zeppelin and the Who and the Stones and the Beatles and they were all great and they were all different. And, and you promoted them all, and you had artist development, and, and, and a lot of times it would take three, four, five albums for an, an artist to break, but the labels uh, stuck with them. And then we evolved from that to the fattest environment where it's like, okay, uh, Nirvana's the flavor of the month. Let's sound, sign everybody that sounds like Nirvana and throw it up against the wall and see what sticks. Oh, uh, Boys to Men's the flavor of the month. Let's uh, sign a whole bunch of bands that sound like Boys to Men, throw it up against the wall and see what it it sticks. And, and the artists and the true bands got lost in in this, this frenzy, and it became a, a, a fad cycle and and there was no longer any actual artist development. And if you suddenly no longer sold a million records on your first time out of the box, you got dropped. I mean, somebody like Styx or REO or any of those, Purple or Heap or any of those kind of bands, they had, a, they had to put out three, four, five albums. I mean, hell, Cheap Trick and Kiss were both going to get dropped. When, when the album that saved the day came out and became a huge success. So, you, so in my opinion, the labels killed it uh, themselves, and, and the, the public rejected themselves. The thing called the Internet came out. People ex- it discovered all this killer music uh, uh, of all kinds all over the Internet that you could listen to and you could down... Uh, download and you could buy and 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 there was all this exposure uh, and a whole new world opened up so what you're finding now is you don't you're not selling as many albums as you used to 
so you're not having as many gold and platinum self, uh, selling albums, but you're having hundreds of artists uh, that are selling platinum and gold singles. So we've totally reverted. It's become a singles world again. And, and sadly, that, that's come because people got tired of being force-fed crap. You know, in the old I couldn't days, agree with you, you more. You Dean, had an Dean, album. What? Dean, I couldn't agree with you yeah. more. But we only have five minutes left in the show. Oh, oh, damn! God. I didn't know. Yeah, you're going on it. You got a great so. story there, but it's it's going on and on. Okay, the last point on that is the counterpoint to that is you've had bands because the social media that none of us have ever heard of that are selling out thousand and fifteen hundred seat clubs all over the United States and you go, who are they and how do they do this? And they do it simply because they know how to promote themselves via social media. So they have Absolutely. half a million Facebook friends and a million YouTube videos. And are selling Absolutely. out fifteen hundred seat uh, venues yeah, don't have a record deal. Game. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to take up all your time and get on the no, get on a rampage, but uh, but That's obviously right. one of my well, soapbox. What I want to talk, I want to talk to Neil about is you got Tony Dolan, the Demolition Man, is in the chat right now with a couple of Neil's friends, Ronnie and Tadio. Uh, what's going on with the Empire of Evil stuff? Yeah, well, let me just uh, kind of address a couple of quick thoughts, and one of them I just like to say thanks to you know all the great you know people and and artists that have you know, come on online and stuff. I mean, wow, Tony Dolan from Empire of Evil. And, um, you know, I wasn't expecting, I just let him know that I was doing this interview, but really cool to have, have Tony in there. And, um, you know, amazing, amazing artist himself. And also Ronnie, um, Ronnie Peterson, who's from the band Ghost of War. Things for them. And, you know, they're playing Nam Metal Jam with us. And, uh, and uh, also some other folks that have joined on, so that's pretty cool. Uh, I just wanted to address, you know, one of the questions that um, was brought up, uh, you know, about uh, the tour, Thrash Invasion tour, and uh, you know, obviously, the the question that's out there, you know, people are are asking, and you know, I can just tell you that, you know, it's really if people want the truth, here's the truth. The truth is that I have a contract that was sent, uh, dated. September 26th. Um, the contract, you know, itself has a date um, of, of September 23rd, but I emailed the completed, executed contract uh, to the leader of Onslaught on the 26th. So I had less than 30 days that I was confirmed, to, you know, in writing by contract to do the Thrash Invasion Tour, North America, uh, U.S., Canada, Brazil, and Chile. So that, that date range on that contract, just so you know, um, if you want the facts, here's the facts. Um, that date range was from October 23rd to December 11th, 2014. And this contract was negotiated between myself and the leader of Onslaught, so there was some changes to it before we came to the conclusion, before it was executed. So the reason that I left the tour two days before it ended, so I left it in Anaheim. I had a conversation with the leader of Onslaught before we went on stage, and that conversation was about the money, and it was specifically about the last week of the tour, money, and also monies that were due to me per the contract, and 
you know, they can- they canceled the South America. I mean, the ca- South America tour was canceled. So I was, I, you know, I took off time to do this tour till December 11th, 2014. And, you know, anyway, so I'll, I'll talk more about that. But um, I was not paid. I was paid for a part of the tour, but I was not paid for that last week that I was with them and also for any other monies that were due to me per the contract. So it was a breach of contract. And, um, you know, as far as the time with the lyrics and, you know, the whole issue regarding the teleprompter stuff, I mean, I'll just say it like this. I hereby declare under the penalty of perjury that the foregoing is true and correct. Okay, it's a malicious personal attack that's been going on. When Stryker dropped off the bill after being lowballed, um, you know, my name was used in conjunction with the booking agent and the band, um, you know, Onslaught, and exploited so promoters would not ask for a discount of the band fee. So, therefore, at that point, misinformation, misrepresentation of the facts, malicious propaganda has been spread to the media and to the fans. So this uh, leader of Onslaught has taken it upon himself to spread false light to create widespread dissemination of major falsehoods with the intent to cause damage to my character, to cause defamation of character, uh, to deceive the fans, the public, and the media, and to create doubt in people's minds, to manipulate the facts and spread false light. My name was not featured on, on uh, show posters. In fact, I was not on, you know, 90% of the posters or up to 90% did not have my name on it. I was on a few posters or, or, you know, internet posters, so to speak. And many folks out there did not have any idea I was singing for Onslaught. Uh, however, sure. the leader of, of Onslaught um, maliciously placed or basically misinformed the public and tried to place blame, you know, for the entire tour uh, and the poor turnouts on the failed tour on me. And I was just trying to help out so the tour could happen in the first place because it was told to me after a period of time. Now, I quit the tour on November 24th, which was um, the Monday night, which was the show in Anaheim. So after the show... I had mentioned the, the first meeting that I had with the leader of Onslaught. The second meeting I had was after the show, and I asked about the money again. And I was told at that point, he says, I, I'm owed $2,000, and I haven't received it. You know, I may not do the next show, is what I was told. So when I heard that, I was like, okay, you need to talk to Nate. Nate was a tour manager, so he was also yeah. in the band VX36. So I went to Nate, and Nate says, well, all the money – is going to the van. You know, they have a, a, a Sprinter van that they need to pay for. So I said, okay, Nate. Nate had paid me before that. I have a contract with Onslaught, not with Nate. But anyway, I, went, I was told by Nate after the first number of weeks that I was going to be then paid by the leader of Onslaught. So I went back to the leader of Onslaught a third time, okay? And this is something that everybody was there in the van, and I asked him, and I said, well, you know, Nate says because they were ready to leave. They are in the van ready to go. So I'm in, I'm in there, and I said, um, you know, Nate says that I need to talk to you about payment. And then he just didn't have anything to say to me. And I, I asked him. He just gave me a blank look. 
And that's pretty much how the whole tour was, you know, on the inside. It was basically, um, you know, non-communication. And, um, you know, just, just, just a breach of contract. So I just said, okay, well, in that case, you know, see ya. Yeah. No pay, no show. That's it. Um, you know, I mean, there, there wasn't, there wasn't hotel rooms for, you know, every night per the contract, you know, meals weren't paid the way they were, were supposed to be. There's breach of contract. Um, they still have my merchandise or they didn't pay me the money for that. I mean, I didn't get paid for any of the shows in South America. I mean, they got paid, they got the full amount in advance. So that's what I was told by the leader of onslaught. So, I mean, no pay, no play. That's how it works. And no, this I, was a job. I, I, was a con- I was a contractor. You were a hired player. You tour. should have been paid before the band because, you know, that's their business. But you were hired to come on for the 30 days or whatever. And you should have been paid for your shows as you went along. And they have to take the hit if there's no money. That's part of the business there on their go. end. Let me, let me address one more, um, you know, more false light that was spread by the leader of Onslaught. Another, um, you know, dishonest statement that was made. Uh, two, two, in two different interviews, which have been, you know, headlined out by, um, you know, some of the metal TMZ sites that you're mentioning. Uh, basically, this is an email that I have, uh, an email thread or string, chain, whatever you want to call it. And this is dated October 21st, 2001. Okay, and this is from a previous email chain. So all parties have this, this email. So basically it says, hi, leader, you know, leader of Onslaught. I'm ready to rock. I've been preparing best I can. I know the melodies and may need some vocal cues when things come back from solos or tricky parts. I have an air turn pedal board, which will turn lyric pages hands-free. There are so many lyrics to, me- to remember. I have a good degree of them, but some are harder <laughs> to remember, which comes with practice, which could take forever. I will have to put my iPad mini on a mic stand and turn it on an angle. It helps tremendously. Just got to make sure no one stampedes it. And there's more that, that continues on. But this was dated October 21st, 2014. I have the thread. And this person, the leader of Onslaught, claimed to the media in an interview that he didn't know anything about the you know teleprompter, as he called it. So that's a flat-out misrepresentation and lie to the fans, to the media. And, you know, it's it's one thing to, you know, to, to tell your version of a story, but it's another thing to be dishonest to people. And I think that it's really unfortunate that there's other people that have been mistreated, uh, you know, by this individual. And there's quite a number. It's a long, long list. But I, I just want to say this, as far as Cy Keeler goes, I have much respect for Cy and his great, you know, his great work with uh, Onslaught you know, on the great albums that he's done. And, um, you know, I just think that, you know, in all due respect to Cy, to if, if I was, in, you know, in a situation where I was in a band and they were going to go and tour without me, you know, I think it was a great disservice to Cy and great, you know, just completely disrespectful. Um, sure. You know, if they knew that, that his, his son was, was not well, you know, why couldn't they wait a few months and do it the right way if that's what they wanted to do? But I, I feel that, no, they, they pushed the issue. You know, they wanted to make him feel maybe uncomfortable and maybe not secure in his position. And, you know, I mean, promoters would understand, oh, yeah, we'll do the tour. We're going to have to push it out a few months. You know, I just felt like, 
because in the conversations that I had preliminary to me signing the agreement, I was told that there might be a longer opportunity with Onslaught. So it was presented to me that, you know, well, if things work out, it could be a longer opportunity. And it wasn't told to me right up front that, you know, it was mentioned that, that his son was, was that he had a, you know, I, I asked why, why, are you, why are you guys looking for a singer? And it wasn't really told to me up front except the fact that, well, yeah, his, you know, he's got a, someone sick in his family. I mean, he, they didn't really tell me anything. And then I thought, well, could it be drugs? You know, could it be they're not paying them? Could it be that, he, you know, you know, I mean, what, sure. you know what I mean? We all think of those reasons. I mean, not, not blaming or shaming. It's just we don't know, right? So you think about it. And I didn't understand until down the line when I talked to somebody else that, yeah, his son really is sick. And it's like, oh, gosh, I felt terrible. It's like, you know, poor guy. You know, why would why would they go and do a tour and not wait for their their you know, basically the singer that's been with them for the long haul. I mean, totally disrespectful. And, you know, then to try to blame it on me at this point, I was just trying to help out and, you know, support the band and support Psych Healer and the whole situation with the son. So from my standpoint, this is disgraceful. You know, do they think that there's a different fan base? Do they think that, you know, fans that, that we both have are from, you know, different genres? I mean, it's 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 really screwed for the fans. I think that's that's the bottom line. But you know what? I mean, if you're going to air your dirty laundry in public, then be prepared to pay the piper, because when you when you're spreading lies and you're slandering people and you're you know libeling people, um, you know I'm going to be pursuing this matter just to let you know. Good. So there you have it. And you should. Well, and you know what, Neil? You've been on the show a lot of times, and you've always been a class act with me on the show. And I, you know, I know if you're saying it, there's a lot of truth to it. You know, and you would think like just hiring you on for 30 days or whatever it was to go on a tour, you know, you would just make it a good time and get out there and do the best you can. The fans know they're not getting what they're going to get with Cy because he's not there. And you think you would just like do the time, have a good time, enjoy, go out around the country and the world, make the best of it, come back and part ways as friends. Because they, they put you on a pedestal before this tour started, and then 30 days later, they're condemning you. And it's a bunch of bullshit and a bunch of nonsense, in my opinion. This is something that could have turned out to be a good thing. Maybe a one-shot deal where people could have said, hey, I saw Neil Turbin with Onslaught. But they, they just turned it into utter chaos at the end. Yeah, I lost money and should have been paid um, for for the tour. And you know, for as per the contract, and, you know, I'm sorry that they canceled South America. I'm a contractor. Whoever decided to cancel, not my problem. I'm under contract. I took time out of my schedule. They owe me the money. And, you know, there's other things that weren't paid, and I can go into detail about it, but I'll save that for, you know, for pursuing the matter, you know, and that's not a problem. And, you know, I, I just think it's, it's disgusting that this person thinks that they can actually you know, harass people and, you know, manipulate people, because I'm aware of it. I've been told that uh, this person's been actually going and, um, you know, trolling message boards to disagree with people. And if they disagree with his opinion, it's like he's trying to, you know, persuade people and manipulate yeah. them. So I've got the documents. I have no problem providing them, you know, to a judge sure. and pursuing and pursuing it. So... You know, that's where we stand. And, and, you know, I don't know if Dean has any thoughts regarding... Well, uh, basically, basically uh, I was brought here for a couple reasons. Uh, basically, because I know all the players involved. Uh, I I was the agent for the 
first ever onslaught North American tour, their Scream of Violence uh, uh, 2012 tour with Empire of Evil. I was the agent for the onslaught uh, Empire of Evil tour of Japan. I was the manager of Empire of Evil when they went out with uh, onslaught and Master and Empire of Evil, and it was supposed to be Exumer, but Exumer also bowed out early because of uh, lack of funds. So I I basically have a very intimate uh, uh, relationship with most of the players involved. I created the Thrash Invasion Tour moniker. I was in the middle of booking a... The Thrash Invasion Tour, the the Thrash Invasion was put together because I had a a date for Hatriot with Steve Sousa, who I know you've interviewed, Mike, at at Headbangers Open uh, Air in Germany because I represented all these bands. I said, gee, since I have this date uh, in Germany for Hatriot and Artillery has this date uh, in in Prague uh, for another festival, let's put them all together and... And, and do a tour of Europe, and when we get done doing that, we will do a, a tour of the U.S. I was in the middle of booking the uh, tour of Europe and the tour of U.S. Uh, when I encountered a problem with uh, the leader of Onslaught that I could not live with that I thought was totally unethical, uh, and I terminated my relationship with Onslaught at which time, uh, if Artillery chose to side with uh, uh, art, uh, Onslaught, that Artillery's manager and I would both terminate our relationships with Artillery also, and they chose to jump off the cliff with Onslaught and, and decide to do something totally unethical. Uh, so we terminated our relationship with them, and all I can say is that there is, uh, a lot of truth into what Neil has to say, and uh, I am not going to stand here and allow him to be slandered when I know that a lot of it is just BS and a lie, because I've been through it time and time and time again Absolutely. Uh, uh, with this situation. And if you want to get into the down and dirty, we can, but I don't need to go there. There's an army of people lined up that will testify, and we will get into all the intimate, dirty details as far as what happened, but there's no need to go there. The other point I wanted to make, because I went through the exact same thing with Diamond Head, because we had a death in the family, uh, and we had to replace our lead singer for a whole U.S. tour with 30 days' notice, and, and people have no realization of what's involved. You have to find somebody who can artistically fit, who can is available, who wants to do the job, who can afford to, to do it for what you can afford to pay them. And, and the reality is no matter who this is, they're going to get paid more than anybody else in the band, which is going to cause internal resentment but that's because they're a hired gun. It's not their band. You're hiring them to come in and save your butt. If they didn't do this, 
or mm-hmm. could not do this, the whole tour is canceled. So you're putting a lot of pressure on somebody, and 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 the reality is you don't have any money, so you're getting it for a brother-in-law's rate in the first place. And what nobody takes into consideration, it's not a 30-day tour. You paid him for a fee, and the fee is not going to be very much because you can't afford it. And it's not 30 days, it's 60 days because he's getting paid, or technically he's not getting paid for the 30 days that he has to invest to learn your material to even give this a shot. And, And his only objective is to make you look good, to make him... Uh, look good and pull it off for all involved and 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 a lot of it is what kind of environment do you bring this person into how to how do you treat this person who's doing you this immense favor and this is do professionalism you, i mean yeah do the, you treat him uh, with professional respect or, are you kind or, or do you not even have a rehearsal not even one rehearsal and i i offered to to do um, you know practices over Skype, and was rejected and, and not you know just ignore it. I offered you know to to to, to have a, a you know sessions on Skype, just ignore it and you know and then no rehearsals before the tour. So I mean, if you're a professional, you make it happen. A real professional Absolutely. would have arranged the practice in advance. Something you know, and well as I, as I told. Uh, Neil, you know what, Neil? It is what it is. Rehearsal. I'm sorry, David. Our rehearsal was in the hotel room the night before the first gig. Oh, it is what it is. You can't do nothing about it now. But we got to focus on the good stuff, and that's the Nam Metal Jam coming up in January. Brand new Death Riders, Bleed the Hunger. There's too many good things to worry about. That shit. That'll get taken care of in due time, and and justice will be served on that front. And you know it as well as I do. Yeah, I just want to thank everybody that's you know joined in the chat room. I mean, Tony Dolan from Adam Craft and Empire of Evil and Ronnie Peterson oh, yeah. from Ghost War and Tadio um, as well from Mexico City and you know all the great people that are that are listening in and you know that are cool and you know it's unfortunate that uh, some people you know are, are basically trying to get press and want to get attention, but um, you know this is not something that. Um, you know, I just try to help out, and that's it. And um, when it went bad, you know, I left. I said, okay, see ya. I quit. And that's what happened. So uh, propaganda that's being spread out there is absolute lies. And as far as NAM Metal Jam, I just want to say that we have 40 artists plus that are going to be playing, that are going to consist of the NAM Metal All-Star Jam, and it's going to be at, uh, you know, the Slide Bar in Fullerton. Michelangelo Badio is going to be performing along with Leatherwolf, Death Riders, Ghost of War, Im- Immortal Guardian. If you haven't heard of them, nice. check them out. Amazing yeah. band with Carlos Sima and Gabriel Guardian. And, you know, just, oh, my God, what an incredible band. And then just the artists that are going to be part of that. We're doing this as a benefit for two charities, for the Ronnie James Dio Stand Up and Shout Cancer Fund, and also for Dick Wagner, who recently passed away. He was the guitar player for Alice Cooper and many hit songs, wrote yep. songs like Sweet Jane with Lou Reed. And, you know, so Dick Wagner's uh, Rockers for St. Jude's. So please come out. This is on January 21st. It's on the Wednesday night right before NAM kicks off, and it's going to be an awesome event. Michelangelo has given away 
um, one of his guitars. So it's pretty amazing. And, you know, we're just going to go out there, have fun, and have a good time, and look forward to seeing everyone that can come out and, and support, you know, both both charities and all the artists that are there for NAM, And, uh, you know, we've got very awesome things to, to be thankful for and uh, appreciate everyone coming out today. Thank you so much. And, um, you know, hopefully, um, you know, this will all be for for positive uh, future, you know. It, it definitely will be. Uh, Neil Dean, I can't thank you enough for being on it today. I got my next guest waiting in the wings. I want to get him on the air. But the best of luck with everything. And, Neil, when the new record comes out, you know you come back on here. We'll talk all good stuff. Right on. Well, we'll we'll uh, try to stay out of the press because uh, I had no intention <laughs> after 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 doing Fistful of Metal 30 years anniversary tour. You know, we did Fistful of Metal alive. I didn't even get a chance to yeah. talk about it, but we did that tour, you know, in July, and we were out there in uh, Netherlands and Germany. All amazing band. Uh, I'd love to talk about that. And uh, you know, we did the tour to support you know 30 years anniversary of Fistful of Metal, and um, you know that was really awesome. And you know that. Um, that, you know, there's some videos out there on the web, and it was just fun to do that. And then and that, I was happy. You know, after that, it's like been in the press, cool. You know, don't need any more. But all this other <laughs> I, stuff, I mean, I was I, I wasn't that. looking for it. I don't I don't need a pat on the back. You know, some people, that's what they thrive on. They're 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 just you know they can't wait to get to read their name. You know, some of these yeah. folks they they spend all day in the tour van, looking on Facebook all day long, looking at Blabbermouth all day long, hoping to read about themselves. I want to stay off of Blabbermouth. I want to stay off of, you know, Facebook. I want to stay off of Brave Words. I want to stay off of, you know, Metal Injection. I want to stay off of all those sites. They're great sites, but, you know, it's like yeah. I don't need to be in headlines that are that the are just like the pudding. The proof is dramatized, the pudding. you know. It's like absolutely they, 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 grab, they grab headlines and say stuff that, you know, I quit the tour. No, I, I, nobody fired nobody, okay? So please get your facts straight. You're going to print stuff. Do some better journalism. I have, I have one quick plug, if I may, for your fans uh, coming. You can do January. it in 30 seconds. Go right ahead. Make it. Keep oh, your okay. eyes and ears open for the Extreme Guitar Tour with Uli John Roth, Vinnie Moore, Black Knights Rising with Craig Goldie, and Vinnie oh, Apiece nice. with special guest Old James, and joining us for West Coast Dates, Jolyn Turner. Nice. Very nice. Check Dave, that out. Thank Sounds you very awesome. much for that info. And and thanks thanks to Mike Yusufer for for being patient. Hey man, have an awesome interview and uh, <laughs> didn't make a, we, we didn't, didn't mean to, to take your show. Exactly. Yeah, we didn't mean to bump into you there, but I hope you. you <laughs> That's know, all right. Uh, hey, Neil, the I best of luck with everything. It is man. what it is. I will take talk care. to you. Thank you. Take Thank care. you. Thank you, Dean. Take care. Be well, guys. Be well. All right. I know Mike is waiting online. We'll get Mike again on. You know what? While Mike is calling in, how about we get on a brand new Primeval song? This is going to come off the latest record. Well, we'll talk with Mike all about that, but let's get on a tune right now. Here's called Blood Curse. So 
God damn, is that brutal. Mike, you on the air? <laughs> hey, man, what's happening? Holy cow, man. You guys just turned it up a notch since that EP, huh? Uh, yeah. The new improved, faster, heavier, <laughs> evil, man. If, if, like if it wasn't before, but I mean, evolution to this. I mean, wow, what a... What a change in the band. I mean, it's so it's I mean, not that you never were tight or hard or heavy, but this just seems to take the band to a whole nother level. Yeah, well thanks, man. It's it's definitely the uh the lineup we have. Uh the new guys in the band, the young blood, you know, and everybody contributing to writing and, and being really a full band uh for the first time in, in a long time. So Yeah. Uh, a couple of new members, yeah. right? Uh well, yeah, Billy, our drummer's been with us um, since 2012. Uh, actually, right before we released the EP, he joined. He joined on board, and um, Rob, our bassist, has been with us uh, uh, going on two years. So, so they're not necessarily new. They're veterans of the live shows, no doubt. You know, we played hundreds of live shows uh, with them. So we were pretty tight, man, uh, going into the studio. I think that was a big yeah. Difference. One guitar, just me. You like it better that way? Um, truthfully, it's a bit more difficult because now I've got you know all the guitars. Um, I actually run two rigs uh, with an AB switch, so I can control each each rig. Um, but as far as the band being tight and being in queue on stage and just you know having it. Actually, having four guys on one page has been a hell of a lot easier than us trying to keep five guys. So yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's just, hard. That, you know, it just fell that way naturally. Um, I was able to pick up the slack lives, you know, so we didn't have that that issue running the two rigs. And you know, I just did the same thing when we went in and recorded as I would have done live. And uh, you know, I think we I think it came out pretty good. I think so. Well, the new album, Blood Curse Resurrection. I mean. 2015, we're going to see this. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yep, I actually. Uh, that's uh, really good. I just finished doing the mastering myself this past week in my own uh, mastering lab. I have here, Masterwork Studio. Nice. So, uh, well, you know, when you look and, uh, at it, this is sort of the band's first full-length record. I mean, the band's been around for over 30 years. I know there's a gap in between when the band wasn't playing anymore, but this is really your first full-length effort. Yeah, this is our official, uh, our first full-length studio recorded uh, release, no doubt. Yeah, we've only had one other full-length, which was Unearthed, but that was just a comp compilation of previous recorded demos and released uh, seven inches and a couple of compilation CDs. So, uh, yeah, yeah, this is the first time we actually went in and recorded uh, 10 songs for a full-length album. The, the the compilation, Earth compilation. Were you a part of that, or was it someone else that put it out? Because you see so many bands like, you know, that was a pretty good compilation. Like we didn't even know we had one out. Like you know, you had these people like from, especially from Greece. They love putting stuff out by bands without telling people. Well, um, yes and no. Um, it's kind of a funny story. What happened uh, just after we we called it quits. Um, in 92, and I got back from touring with Demolition Hammer um, in 93, uh, somebody had offered to put the first two demos on vinyl for us. And, uh, you know, one on each side. And, and we were like, sure, why not? You know, um, no cost to us. Just get the just get the master tapes together and, uh, and send them out. So 
we kind of did that, and that kind of fell through. And I guess it worked itself. And then at that point, I just kind of didn't pay attention. Um, but Mary kept working it, and she wound up working this, this deal with uh, with uh, King King Fowley, who had Battle's Own Records at the time. And, yeah. Uh, you know, he's with October 31 and the legendary deceased. And uh, he, I, I didn't see, I didn't even know about it until I had the copy in my hand. Um, but, but it was, uh, it was kind of like to be a surprise for us because, you know, we were expecting a kind of like a, a vinyl EP. And instead she came up with all this and Tad, Tad the drummer on our first demo helped with the layouts and everything and, and do some artwork. So, uh, secretly, the two of them worked worked behind the scenes and and put this together. And uh, actually, I, I you know I thought it was kind of cool. It was it was nice to see um, something after all those years, you know, come out like that. That was pretty cool. But uh, you know, we were moving on and moving forward. And I uh, continued to write, continued playing with with some other bands and doing my own thing. And so did Andy. And eventually, we met up again. And uh, because of a publication called Glorious Times which is like a yeah, documentary of the underground, uh, late eighties, early nineties. Um, we were, we were one of the bands featured in there. Andy gave me a call, came down with a couple of the other guys from the band and, uh, we're looking at stuff and I, you know, I just got done, um, actually just working on a couple new songs and I let them listen to it. And, uh, everybody was pretty much into it. Uh, the, those songs were crucifixion and evolution. And we decided, uh, you know, let's get together, let's record something, something real, you know, this time, and uh, maybe play a few shows and do that. And and that was 2000, uh, summer 2010. Uh, by 2011, we were playing out, and uh, by 2012, we were going through uh, lineup changes again, just like just like the usual 80s and 90s. So um, everything came full <laughs> circle. You know, it was it was just the uh, same old primeval all over again. Uh, but you know, it was it was still there. Me and Andy had had never really, should I say, let go of of the band. You know, we did our own things, but we always kept doing primeval stuff on the side, knowing that one day, you know, it would, it would most likely happen. Because for both of us, that was our first love. That was our band. We put everything we had into it. You know, um, so it didn't really matter who else we played for or played with. It just wasn't the same. Um, yeah, I was going to say when the two of you hooked, because you and Andy have been with this thing since the beginning. I was going to say when you hooked back up again and decided that you know to, to reunite the band, did you try to get any of the original lines back together? But like I said, there were so many bass players and drummers that came in. I mean, you could have went with like Phil and Guy and you know the pre demo days, or with you know Tad or somebody else. And when you started recording, was it even an option, or you just say, hey, let's just look for two other guys? And actually, you had Gary on guitar for a long time too, on and off. Yeah, Gary was on and off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that didn't change again. <laughs> um, it just, you know, it, it was kind of like anybody that could get together could get, you know, you know what I mean. So uh, at, at that point, Tad uh, Tad was not uh, not able to. Um, Tad was barely able to, but he was willing to. So um, uh, Matt, who was with us at the end, was was unable to. So yeah, we touched base with everybody. Um, uh, Mary was the first person that we thought of on bass, um, especially once it was Todd, you know, Gary, myself, and Andy. Um, 
you know, when when Todd was in the band, Mary was in the band, um, and Mary was our longest tenured bass player anyway. Uh, so it only made sense, and she was she was you know our, our voice at the time. She did all the fan mail and the interviews, and and she was able to take care of all that stuff and had a lot of connections. And we thought uh, it would be nice for her to come back and and get to see all those people again, uh, which which was which was great for a little while. But uh, you know, unfortunately. Um, her life wasn't wasn't set up to to do it full blast, and and then yeah. neither was Todd, neither was Todd's or Gary's. Um, so, you know, um, we had a choice: we could just give up the last two years of what we've been doing, or let's finish it, you know, the way we always have, and, and that's what we chose to do. So, here we still yeah. are. <laughs> and that's a good thing. You know, a lot of people don't give Mary credit for one thing. I mean, back in the '80s, you know. Any kind of female in a metal band always got looks like, you know, they didn't belong, and especially when they were least singers of bands. And, you know, any band that came out, they try to say, oh, that's like the heaviest girl and the hardest band ever. But, I mean, Mary really played in a band that was fucking hard. I mean, you know, you guys were heavy as shit back then, even like now. And she was really out there doing that stuff where there weren't a lot of women that were kind of playing that music back then. Yeah, you know, she was she was just like us. She was a fan of, of, of the scene, of, of the music. You know, we were playing the music that, that we loved to listen to the most, um, and, and we still are. You know, that's that's always been our goal, is just, you know, everything that we love just mixed into one melting pot of metal, and that's that's basically uh, what we've always done. But, yeah, she's always had the same interests, and at times she was turning us into more bands than we could turn her into. You know, she was just a, a huge fan of the underground and the scene. And... Um, yeah, she didn't fit. What's the word? Nobody could fit better than Mary. Yeah, I mean, no yeah. one at all. Um, she was oh. the best fit, and, and for the band and and everything. So. Well, I remember going back to the late 80s. I think the Manifestation demo was the first tape that I had gotten by you guys. And I remember reading there was you were in a magazine called Metal Meltdown or something. I think it was called. Uh, back in the day, a little article. That's why I first, you know, I started getting more and more into the band, and I was so disappointed that a few years later we didn't hear anything about you guys anymore. But you know, back then, like we always say, there weren't, you know, bands weren't getting the kind of attention. You would have no idea what Primeval was doing back then, because no magazines were writing about it. It was just these fanzines. You had to be lucky enough to find one that featured the band. But what happened around ninety two, ninety three, that the band decided to call it quits? Uh, well, basically, you know, we've been doing it on our own since. 86 um and it just got to be too much um we had a couple record deals that fell through uh during the uh, during the time we were going back and forth uh with the negotiating process and wasted a lot of time um we weren't really doing much because of that except for negotiating and rehearsing and writing new stuff um when that happened, um, there was kind of like a change of the guards, you know, as far as what was getting signed. It went from that death thrash to like a grindcore, deathcore type stuff, you know, the real, real heavy stuff. Um, and it was either that or just like a real pure thrashy artillery type thing. And we were kind of somewhere in between. And we really didn't have any any want to change either way um, just to secure a record deal. Um, so we kept doing what we what we wanted to do for as long as we could. Um, 
in uh, summer of '92, it was it was just pretty much it. Um, we were in our in our young twenties, you know, all working. Gary was wasn't even in the band at that time. Uh, we were a four piece when we when we broke up. So, you know, people had gotten married and left and going to graduate school, and it was like you know, in a way, kind of time to grow up and. <laughs> get the career because music isn't isn't going to be it at this time so that's kind of what we did we did music on the side and we did some things together here and there um i jammed with matt on the side on a band uh gary gary and andy did a project uh together andy and tad um so you know we kind of through one or the other we're kind of still you know going on but uh it wasn't until the glorious times things and and we got together and like I said, I got to play the guys what I what I've been writing. Um, we decided it was it was a great time to give it another shot and just do it our way and and not, you know, we don't have to worry about uh, making a career out of it or not. You know, um, we've got our lives, we've we've done what we've needed to do, and now we're doing what we love to do. And that's a good thing. And you've been really busy, really active. I mean, since reuniting with the shows and now with the recording and the new record is going to be coming out real soon. And, you know, you did mention, you, you, I know you wanted the Demolition Hammer in the 90s for a little bit, but you didn't play any of the records, did you? I think you were in between the two records in the uh, 90s, yeah, the that, early 90s. Yeah, I did the uh, North American tour with them for Epidemic of Violence um, when James had to, had to leave the band. And um, I took his place on the tour, did a few shows with them afterwards. Um, with Alex as well on drums, uh, with some of the new stuff from Time Bomb, but that was that was about it. Um, I didn't record the album with them. No, it was just the three of them, and I think they yeah. did a yeah. show or two afterwards. Um, but like I was, I was like kind of going through my own thing at that time, where I wasn't really available to do anything for anybody. So uh, sure, um, yeah, it, that that was by my own fault. So. Uh, you know, I would have loved to uh, to been with them to the end because they were great guys and they were brothers in the underground. You know, with Primeval Demolition Hammer kind of started up together down there, so um, it, it was really cool to jam with them. And the uh, the style was so easy and to you know so similar to mine that it was like it was almost like playing Primeval tunes, just a little different. So um, I had a lot of fun playing with them, man. They're great guys, great musicians, awesome band. Yeah, they were a good band. You know, Mike, with the new record coming out, uh, I mean, you know, those demo tapes were so classic for back in the day, but the band is definitely in a different place now than you were musically back then. I mean, talent-wise, songwriting-wise, but those were some classic tunes. I mean, did you ever think about re-recording them or maybe putting some of them out on some of the new albums that are going to be coming out? But I'm sure if like 20 years of writing, you probably have so much shit that you want to get out besides that. I mean, it's like a cat, you know, it's like a mixed bag over there. Yeah, that's definitely a question we've been asked a lot. Um, you know, getting back together, we wanted to put out an EP uh, to show people that we've got new material, that we're not just riding off it. You know, we don't want to be known as, as the old demo band, you know. We, we've got new stuff, and we're coming out with it. And um, it came up again, and, you know, we wanted to get a full length out first, you know. Sure. Um, so, you know, we've, we've pondered uh, re-recording some old songs and and doing an EP uh, because if you could hear Billy play play that stuff live, man, he'd fucking blow you away. So uh, 
yeah, they're just so much more, even more heavier and powerful now than they were then. Um, but just as classic, you know. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, we are, we're definitely considering doing, doing a handful of tunes of re-recording, doing maybe an EP in between this album and the next. Nice. I have to tell you one thing. Andy's voice is just over the top these days. I don't know what he's doing, but he's taking it to a whole nother level. I wouldn't want to run into that guy in a dark alley. Yeah, dude. When he came to rehearsal the first time we got back together and uh, we we were doing uh, Crucifixion Aftermath and he started doing that line, you know, uh, it's a lie. And I was just like, whoa, this dude's voice is like 10 times more powerful than it was. And the more we've been together, the more he sings, the more powerful it gets. It's just like amazing, man. It's like he just keeps getting another number on that volume knob on his throat and cranking it up more. And it's, you know, he takes good care of his voice. It's something he's always tried to do. You know, he knows he's not a singer, um, so he's beating up his throat and his voice box. He understands that, and he, he tries to to work it the best that he can. So, you know, whatever he's doing, he's doing right, man, no doubt. Absolutely. You know, Mike, we only got about 10 minutes left in the show. I want to get on some more tunes. Uh, you're going to have to file a formal letter of complaint with Dean and Neil for taking up those extra five minutes of your time. But uh, we'll get the music on, and we'll do this again soon. But what do you got? When do you expect the new record to come out? And the, I mean, we're almost at the end of 2014 now. But what do you have planned? Anything coming up as far as live shows go in the area? Um, at the moment, no. We're actually waiting to uh, figure out on a release date. But I would say probably sometime in February is probably a realistic date. Um, and then you know, we'll take it from there. Once we get it released, uh, we're, we'll start. Just booking shows and playing and getting on anything we can to uh, to promote it. So 2015, oh, yeah. uh, I would expect you know lots and lots of live shows, man. That's good. Try to get back down to Brooklyn so I can check you guys out again. Always, man. Definitely. It's gonna be good. Well, you know, Mike, I'm gonna get on one more tune. You know, when the album comes out, you come back on, and we'll just have you on the whole show. That way, we don't have to worry about wasting any time. <laughs> Sounds awesome, Mike. Really appreciate that. Hey, anytime, Mike. You got it. I'm gonna get on. Uh, we'll do Plagues of Humanity next. How does that sound? That sounds awesome. Appreciate it. All right. Here you go. Brand new Primeval. All right. Thanks, Mike.
John wanted to hit Death Force, the headbanger. That was uh, Jim Drabos' old band, uh, the singer from Dark Angel, for a, a small amount of time. Uh, that's a hard demo to find. You really got me with that one. I had to dig deep into the collection <laughs> to pull that one out of my ass. But uh, nice. and there you go. And uh, right before that, another brand new Primeval song, Plague of Humanity. Those guys have gotten harder and heavier since they were in the 80s. And when that new record comes out, we'll have Mike back on the show. And I want to thank Mike for being patient tonight and hanging in there. And for Neil and Dean for calling in. It was another great show, T. I also want to uh, thank, uh, I want to wish my sister. It's her birthday today. I want to wish her a happy yeah. birthday. And uh, more important than that, tomorrow is my beautiful bride's birthday. She's 21 plus a couple here and there. And looks more beautiful now than she ever did before. So we'll close out the show with the song for her. And just want to remind everybody, this Thursday on the Metal Matinee, it's the Heavy Metal Mayhem Christmas Extravaganza. We've got appearances by Santa, Rudolph, Frost. Everybody's going to be here Thursday. Oh, so wow. don't forget to tune in 12 o'clock for one hour of Christmas heavy metal. And I dug up a few tunes this year that I know nobody's heard before. So oh, don't forget cool. to check that show out. And T, thank you, thank you like always for hanging out with me. It was a pleasure. I know we didn't get to talk much today. We had a lot of guests, a lot of talking right. to do. We but have fun. We, have fun. Yeah, we always do. All right, so I will see you next week. Hopefully, there's no Ranger or Giant game on in the afternoon, and uh, we'll be doing this again. And then the week after that, we uh, have one guest on, and uh, we'll play a lot of, like, the best albums of the year. We'll do, like, a year-end thing, you know? Sounds good, man. All right, so thank you very much. How about we close out today's show with a song for my beautiful bride on her birthday, The Rods, His Hot to Trot. Take care, everybody.
right. Don't forget, you can catch the rods March 14th at the Defenders of Old Fest in Brooklyn. I still have two minutes left in the show, but I don't have any songs that can fit into it. So, you know what? Since we only play something by Neil Turbin's solo record, I get on an Anthrax tune. The whole song is not going to make it on the live program, but if you listen to the podcast, it'll be in there. So here's Subjugator. Take care, everybody. I'll see you Thursday for the Christmas extravaganza. <laughs>